This Might Work episode XXVIL. I actually, that's not right. But we're back. Scott, the comedy guy at scottthecomedyguy.net joins us now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. How are you? Did you know that it was Napster was the topic this week? So you went with .net like it didn't matter? Because remember when you were trying to, people would say, okay, well, you know, really, if you can't get .com, just do .net. It's it's no big difference. People aren't going to really care. And then they have cared. And, oh, it uh, matters. <laughs> yeah. And then there was .tv for a while, which, yeah. um, you know, in a way, felt very you know i'll just put it this way it mattered too right you didn't want to be i owned a tv i owned a dot tv i still own a dot tv that redirects to our main site okay so uh, before we get to napster um how does it matter let's let's find out do you have some like information i know you don't have in front of you i'm putting you on the spot have you done some research or heard about this and how much difference it makes in regards to having a dot com well, it was a strategic decision for us because it was our YouTube channel. And instead of saying, go to youtube.com slash what the thing was, we said, just find it on blah, 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 dot TV. And then so they went there and it was just easier to find our video driven platform. It just made more sense to us at the time, which then redirected to youtube.com slash. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, I think. No one, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I don't, I'm pretty sure no one cares. Napster. And I'm so excited. And you haven't felt that way in a while in any topics I brought. Well, a little bit on the Tiger King. You were excited about I, that. But. I've been excited for everything except the Spanish flu. Right. All four uh, times the, we tried to do that one. So it was a good show. It was good, kind of. Now, Napster, it happens in the spring of 1999. And instead of just jumping right in, let's jump right in in regards to what was going on in the life of Peter Dunn in 19, spring of 1999. Where were you? I was in at Hanover College in Southern Indiana. My junior year, I had just gotten engaged to my now betrothed. And, uh, I got, yeah, I, I proposed to my wife, I think April 2nd, I want to say of uh, junior year of college and lo and behold, this magical thing comes out called Napster and it was all the craze on our T1 lines, which for those in the game, that means we had really, really fast internet at our small Presbyterian liberal arts college in Southern Indiana. Okay, now that's a vital element, and I'm not afraid to jump around a little bit. This is why it works in the spring of 1999, and it happens like Facebook. It started in colleges, um, but this would never work. Napster never would have worked the file sharing if you didn't have high-speed internet. It just it wasn't going to work. And once again, like Netflix, Netflix had to wait on that. Before that, it was just some place that sent DVDs in the mail. So you had high-speed internet. I didn't. I was living still in 1999, I'm sure, with a uh, AOL disc and mm. at slow speeds because I was in the real world at that point. I was not in college. I uh, I graduated in basically the end of 1988. So this is about 10 years later. Napster happens. Okay. So did you have a friend who introduced you to Napster, like a drug? 
Yeah, you know, it's a, and we we must mention. Can you imagine Zoom calls pre high speed internet? No. Can you imagine dial up Zoom calls? How much worse they'd be. Um, that's a bit I'm working on. Um, I don't know how I found out about it, but I remember once I found out about it, I used to. Oh, oh we haven't even said what it is. Napster's a, was was sharing music with your internet friends. And you basically had your friends' music libraries, and you just shared it. But these weren't your real friends; they were just weirdos online. And there was a like a interface that just you could search up any song, any album, ever, anywhere, and you'd have it on your computer in a matter of minutes. Right. And that's the part that's so different. And we'll get into what it was like before for our. Uh, listeners who don't know what it was like, and I can give you more details on that. But okay, so there's it's called peer to peer sharing. There was this guy named Sean Fanning, right? Do you know Sean Fan? You know the story of Sean Fanning? Yeah, there's two Sean's involved: yes. Sean Parker and Sean Fanning. And Sean Fanning is one of those AWN guys on the Sean. Yeah, I, it's hard to trust that. Yeah, and then the other one's Sean C. E-A-N. I think that's the number one, Sean. That's the one we like. My best friend in high school, a Big Ten, uh, he's been on the Big Ten Network forever. His name's Sean Morris. Spells it S-H-O-N. That's the worst of the three Sean's, correct? It sounds like he drink, drinks very poor quality beer. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> we went to Northwestern. And Sean Fanning went to Northeastern University, Boston, and he's 18 years, he's a freshman and he dreams this thing up and I'm, he's 18 when this thing, and he truly changes entertainment in positive and negative ways, depending on how you look at it. But he's 18 years old when this thing comes out and his, his partner, Sean uh, Parker is more the biz guy. So Sean's the coder. And Sean Parker's more the biz guy. If you want to give maybe a poor, I don't know, ex, you know, another kind of example of this, it would be a little bit like Wozniak. And what was that other guy from Apple? Steve Jobs. He was a little bit like that. Yeah, it, it was interesting because their premise was, okay, I own this music. I, like you said, at prior to, Napster, if you wanted to share something with your buddy, you'd physically hand them your tape. I remember my my stereo system at the time had double cassettes. Totally. So you could re record one. You could make mixtapes, which I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about. And we must. And so what they did is they just made it searchable. Uh, and, and you could burn your CD onto your computer, onto your hard drive, and it'd hang out there. And other people could access this folder on your computer and take whatever music you wanted and because you could take whatever you wanted from other people. And it really was genius until we all realized it was um, <clears throat> theft. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to get into the theft, but you, you bring up mixtapes. Mixtapes, in a way, was kind of a different version of theft. The kind of theft that I felt was totally uh, fair. So how would you get music that you didn't own before? Well, maybe you'd borrow your friend's CDs. Like you, you had a friend who was cool, like me, who had like 
250 CDs that he had spent a lot of money on. Um, yeah. you would, you would just, you would take a cassette. You weren't really burning it onto a CD that, that didn't happen until even a little later than this for most people. And that never took off like a cassette, but you would often burn a CD onto a cassette. They sold those before that you would take two cassettes, as you said, and burn, basically take songs from one cassette and put it on the other. Before that it was albums. This is how you would mixtape. Okay. Let's say you didn't have any friends. You would go to the library. Yeah. And you would rent, not rent. You would actually, um, you know, check out CDs and then you would just make your own mixtapes. I have still probably 300 mixed uh, tape cassettes. Some of them are, are works of art. That I, I mean, really, my my focus in life, uh, I will crush you in music trivia. I am a, as long as it's anything before 2010. I would say that there was a, there was something beautiful about it, though, and I don't think the music industry really cared that much because you still had to uh, you had to work to get these. You had to leave your house. You had to have relationships and friends. And I ended up buying more music because of I would get this mixtape and I'd be like, you know what's missing here? What is missing is uh some Love and Rockets. There's one song from Love and Rockets that I need to get. But there's the one song thing that made Napster really make sense. I think the best example of why Napster does make sense is at the time CDs were like 18 bucks. I mean yeah. retail price right. were 18 you'd be like, oh, sweet, a $12 on sale. And then, you know, it had 10 to 12 songs on it. And you bought, at this time, I'm thinking Chumba Wumba was very popular then with one song, the tub thumping. Tub, I was just thinking, is that I get knocked down, I get up again? Yeah, is that yeah that right. And I'm sure that was huge in Hanover College. If you, you uh, It was more of a Dave Matthews. Oh, you were set for some. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was more. You were more the uh, kind of. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was more Tupac and um, really into R. Kelly and Keith Sweat. But that's neither here nor there. No, no, and that explains Ted again. Your son, the rapping uh, nine. Is he nine? Eight. He's eight. Okay. But someday he'll be nine. He will. Okay, Maybe. so you take Chumbawamba's record and I'm just, that song was huge and it was played in all the, the nightclubs and the bars. I get knocked out. Okay. But that, the rest of that record was truly hideous. It was, I mean, everybody's heard of one hit wonders, but that thing was just miserable. And what would happen is you'd spend $18 because you had to have that. This was really past the day of 45s or singles. And the music industry would just people over spending you'd spend that much and then get that crap and then all of a sudden this napster appears and you're like hey i don't feel like it's right i have to spend 18 dollars to get one song i like maybe 14 or 16 join the columbia record house which is a, another episode i'm sure totally right so napster comes and you could argue to yourself hey music companies the uh you know, the RCAs and the Atlantics have ripped us off long enough. Power to the consumer. Let's just take every song possible. And you didn't visualize um, 
you know, you didn't visualize some up and coming band that you were downloading a song from. You were thinking, I'm going to take money from Pink Floyd. They got enough money. Who cares? And then you visualize the guy that ran the record company more than you visualize some up and coming band who all of a sudden was never going to make any money again. Yeah, it it didn't feel like you were hurting anyone. You know, and I it's funny because in 1999 when people I knew would borrow songs from their long distant friends across right. the globe in Thailand. Again, it just yeah, it just didn't feel wrong or bad and you were enjoying the music, you weren't selling it, right? That's the other element to this whole thing. It's not like I was taking it and then getting additional you know, value out of it other than for my own personal use. And of course the, the party in the hallway of the fraternity house. But now as an person who creates intellectual property for a living, I have completely different views on this topic than a young 20 year old version of me did. And that was so much a big part of it is, is that when you're eight, the guy that created is 18, Sean Parker. I don't know how old he is, but he looked about the same age. Okay. Maybe he was 20. So at 18 or 20, you're not always thinking beyond, hey, I want this and I'm going to create this and this is going to be so cool for my friends who can't afford all this music and now we're going to have this music. And they really were not thinking, hey, we wanted to screw over the artist. That wasn't the idea of Sean Fanning. His idea was, hey, wouldn't it be cool that I could get all this music and my friends could get all this music and we could sit and love music together? Because th- that's the concept. It, 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 but, but as an artist myself, I realized that I, I never was comfortable with Napster. I was 10 years older. I was one of the last people that would jump. I never even downloaded one piece of music from Napster. Uh, artistic integrity to me was important. Uh, I probably waited until, I don't know, three or four years later. And finally I'm like, ah, and I used one of those, uh, Kazaz or whatever was the ones that took in, uh, after Napster was shut down. So my moral integrity was pretty high on this front, but then I was the same guy that still went to the library and grabbed all these CDs. I just, I guess I felt like, Hey, if I got a drive, and uh, check it out and then return it and go to that trouble. That makes me have some kind of moral integrity. I realize it was a kind of flimsy kind of deal on that front, but uh, do you remember who was the leader against Napster besides the I record think, companies? I think Metallica was. not Yes. It? Not just Metallica though. Who, who was the face of that? Uh, what's his face? Right. Uh, well, you were James? listening to Tupac then. Yeah, I mean, it was a guy screaming. People liked it. No, no, but he was the drummer. Lars Ulrich. Lars. Yes, that's a good name. Yeah, for metal, come on. I mean, really. Uh, Every guy, every other guy in that business should be named Lars. So Lars Ulrich, he's a bit of a, he's an asshole. People, look, honestly, people that know him will tell you he's a jerk. Are we bleeping that one? I'm used to my other. Well, no, I mean, I'm not because I'm not going to edit this because that would require additional work on my behalf. Okay. We're just going to have to stamp this one. Oh, gosh. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. Good call. And, and, and are we uh, now during the pandemic, have you been cursing in front of your children or not yet? 
What's no, the rules? Hope- what's the rules around your house on that? Yeah, you know, none of the big ones. None, none of the big ones. Definitely right. But I, one of the big ones, almost came out the other night in a point sure. of frustration. Um, you know, yeah, no, not really. We we don't. But yeah, and I don't judge others that do. It's just I don't. Right, you don't. No, that's how. Look, I'm a comedian. I spent the first twenty years of my career with a real potty mouth. That was part of my act. Not, you know, I, I never wasted an F word. I always, that was kind of my integrity. You know, I, sure. I just used it yeah. three or four times to punch things up. But ultimately, uh, there was there was a little flavor, a little flavor in my uh, act. And people I know would be shocked to hear that I never cursed around my kids. It's just like, yeah, I don't want my kids to be the one that tells everybody yeah. there's no Santa. You know, like, you know, and I didn't want him to be that kid when they got to school. So my kids are real Puritans, especially my son. It's really obnoxious. He's like, well, my friend, he, uh, he says this and blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, he just uses one letter to try to explain. He says the A word and I'm like, God, man, you know, okay. I'm glad you don't, but you're 12. Come on. Quit being, yeah. quit being such a narc. And, and truthfully, around your friends, I hope you you drop a couple dams at least, you know? I mean, uh, nobody wants Mike Pence around, you know, when you're 12. You know? And if he does, you want him wearing a mask. Yeah, Did that'd be nice, that? it said, yeah. said the guy who's a fellow Hanover uh, College uh, alumni. You guys share that in common, right? Uh, we do share that in common. And that is just a point of pride for me. Okay, sure. No, I. Um, okay, so anyway, so, uh, Lars yeah. was mad. Lars, Lars was kind of. Do you remember when there, uh, when you were younger, there was a uh, another music industry battle, and that was about putting, as you said, putting some kind of sticker on our podcast. Well, they wanted to put a sticker on the. Um, they wanted to put a sticker. On, on records and CDs and DVDs. I don't even, I mean, I don't even know if CDs were around when they, and Tipper Gore was involved in this. Yeah, there was. Uh, right. Okay. This, they had a weird person who was one of the, the people. They had Frank Zappa, who is a bright guy and, and only really smart people seem to like his music. Okay. So <laughs> I, that I made sense. name any of it. Right, right. Well, Valley Girl. You might have heard that song. That was his daughter. He did with it. But Okay. But uh, there also was D. Snyder of Twisted Sister was one of the voices on it. And he was very eloquent. And people were like, wait a minute, that guy? Um, that was kind of how Lars Ulrich was. Uh, Lars Ulrich is part of, at the time, the loudest band in the world at, in 2000, 2001. Um, Metallica. And you were like, well, Metallica, is that the guy we're going to send out? Aren't we going to send somebody from some you know, like alternative band where they might've gone to uh, some Ivy league school and they, no, they sent out Lars and he was bright and intelligent and he did point his point of view out, but he's a jerk. He's not very likable. They put him out there and he, he came off like, yeah, okay. Artist integrity and all this, but he's rich. Hey, suck it. Lars. Who cares, man? You can buy whatever CD you want or any album you want. We can't. So, you know, just go take your Metallica money and, and you know, shove it. And so 
he didn't end up being a good spokesperson. Kind of like me not being a good person explaining that whole thing. I was thinking earlier today that when I was younger, 18, 20s, you know, in the, the, in the 18, 20s, you know, Right. Um, when I was around that age, I remember doing really dumb stuff and, and fighting for things that I thought were right. But now I look back on them and I was like, well, yeah, that, that's really dumb. And it just occurred to me, again, if this happened uh, today, you and I would be like, we're with Lars. <laughs> but oh, sure. back then, we were like, Lars sucks. I mean, he's like, he rocks, but he also sucks. Right. And I just think that's wild. I mean, it's called maturity. I, I get wisdom and I, and I get that. But I just think it's so wild that you can be what you view now to be so wildly wrong then about a topic that you were just like, there are no victims here. But there kind of was. There kind of was. Well, there were also victims in regards to the consumer, though. And that's where it's, it becomes an all or nothing deal. And that's what happened. It, it went from the, the record companies were just just screwing people over. There was an absolute CD boom between 84 and 2000. And they got to double down on things, uh, the record companies, because not only were they putting out these CDs that were costing retail $17.98, sometimes even more, when the CD themselves, as we all know, cost about a dime. And then you throw in, uh, not only did they make all that money uh, when an album used to cost ten or eleven dollars, they really jacked up the prices on CDs because these CDs were such great sound quality. That sound quality also allowed them to double down on. Oh, you remember that Dire Straits record that I had in 1980? That was an album, and people were like, "Yeah, you should hear it on CD." So then everybody said, "Oh, we can't buy our albums anymore," and they replaced their albums with CDs. So they got to double dip on all this music. So it was just, they were just hand over fist with money, these record companies. So we're in this culture at this time where people are really paying, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Some people, thousands of dollars. Do you say thousands and thousands of dollars? You really don't, do you? Uh, you can say that. I usually, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, okay. I've never had thousands and thousands of dollars, but please, yeah. what you did. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> now we're back to hundreds and hundreds. So, yes. but tens th- th- and tens. this created this was the cataclysmic event of entertainment because it created the culture of free, and now we live all in free everything free and, and journalism and entitled, free and it and entitlement. Because you feel entitled to free. Yeah, if I mean, it's on the internet, it should problem. be free. Yeah, that, yeah that's it, uh, absurd. It, it opened up the can of worms that this was the first, this was the first that I know of at least, um, the hammer to basic, you know, you have to charge something to get, you know, you, you charge something if you're offering a product. You don't go into the store and go, wow, everything should be free here. And that was the first, you know, brick that came out of the wall, even on the Pink Floyd album. And then the next thing that happened was, okay, Napster started putting movies up there. And as streaming got better and better, then all of a sudden, well, we can't do that. 
Then uh, porn movies was all free. All these different products that used to charge and people we made lots of money off of, now it needed to be free. And the next step after that was, and we'll probably do an episode on this one, is uh, what happened in newspapers. And, you know, so much of it had to do, um, what's the uh, what's the site that everybody buys stuff from? It's not eBay. Amazon. No, no, no. What's the, uh, well, why am I blanking? Where you, you, it's like a local one ads. Oh, Craigslist. Craigslist. Craigslist destroyed newspapers. We'll, we'll deal with that one and another one. People think it's because of something online. No, it was Craigslist because newspapers made all their money, most of their money off of one ads. And so here we go. All these different things started cratering because this 18 year old kid, Sean, he's at Northeastern, comes up with a great idea. He's not thinking of breaking, you know, the the world as we know it. Music at that time was a $15 billion revenue business. $15 billion in 2000. And Napster just totally destroyed it. And people are like, well, why didn't they take him to court? They did. Well, why didn't they win? They did. Napster ended. Napster didn't make the money off of this. Not anybody really made a fortune from what I know off of this. It was kind of a, I don't know, a socialist kind of thing where it's like, bring the power to the people, who cares? But the people also are people in bands. And now in today's world, you don't make any money. People think, oh, you make money off of Spotify, right? <sighs> yeah, maybe if you're Drake. That was a, gr- that was a gross sound. <sighs> Don't do and that people anymore. think, you know, they're like, hey, can I support you by listening to uh, your comedy CDs on Pandora or Spotify? Uh, no, no, you can't. <laughs> you can't. Um, you could buy a T-shirt. You could hire me for your next event on Zoom, which I've been doing. Uh, not enough, but a little bit. What I'm trying to speak to is that basically every performing artist now makes their money from touring. Oh, wait a minute. No one's touring. So every clip that you see on YouTube, very few people make any money off of YouTube. You've got to be just enormous. Uh, my, I think my son was telling me that if you get a million views, you can make what, $3,000 or something on YouTube. I think it's something like that. And that seems like a lot, but if you have 10 million, uh, if that's the math, you have 10 million views on YouTube, you just made $30,000. That's a lot of work and a lot of views. Now think of somebody who would have paid you, you know, a dime on every one of those views, let alone a dollar. Now you're talking about real money, right, Pete? Oh, did I mess this math up? No, I think the math is, is pretty sound. Thank Very you. Very sound. Okay. So this is what happens. What happened to, uh, Napster, you know, they, they end up getting shut down and, uh, there's no way they can work around it. These sharing services though, they, they're called pirate. I think there was one, was there a pirate booty or something? Not the snack. I think there was pirate Bay. Okay. Yes. Remember that one, right? I was telling you, Pete, if you remember, sure. They exist. What's the next step in music? Uh, Steve jobs says to the music companies, Hey, you're losing it. This 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 model of yours is almost dead. Your only option now is put the music up on iTunes 
and we're going to charge 99 cents per song or you know ten dollars for the the album and some of them still didn't want to do that they were like the the percent of what we're going to get off of this is nothing compared to a cd and he's like okay well this is the way it's going to work uh do you recall why steve jobs was so interested was he trying to make money off of the music that's kind of a question I think it had to do with, well, this wasn't all the way to iPods yet, was it? Yeah. Is that the reason? It was mm-hmm. iPods? Yeah. It was the hardware. He was like, I want to sell these iPods. I mean, the guy was brilliant. So that's what happens. Most of the music ends up going up on iTunes, but there were holdouts. I mean, like, I don't think ACDC was up there for a long time. The Beatles didn't go up there until I think the middle, like two, 2014 or something. There were artists that still sold CDs. One of the interesting um, things that happens with the sharing of peer-to-peer sharing is some of the music uh, continued to sell pretty well, and that was country music. Um, I don't know if it was because rural areas didn't have as good of uh, internet and it was just too hard, or people were like, eh, and I, I, I don't want that. I want to play my CD in my truck. Whatever it was, country music continued to sell where rock music and especially alternative music did not sell well, and uh, rap sold pretty well too. So there was a couple markets that still stayed pretty strong. Classic rock did okay as people would release, you know, another version of Journey's Greatest Hits because older people were like, I don't understand this Napster. Did you ever try to explain Napster to someone who was 10 to 20 years older to you? I think I tried to explain it to my dad. And and I think he did say, isn't that stealing? And I said, <laughs> no, it's not stealing. It's right. if, if your neighbor needs a pickaxe to bury someone and he comes over to your garage and you let him borrow it, he didn't steal the pickaxe from Lowe's. And my dad's like, well, it's different because it's intellectual property. And I'm like, let's not use your $30 words, Mike. And then and, and then he, I believe he he kicked me out of the house or something. Wow. That was, that was I felt like I was there during that story. That was how good that was. I didn't expect well, the pickaxe was going to be part of it. I was a little improv. little improv job mm, I just did. I liked it. And... I was doing a little improv. That's the only thing I, that's the only improv trick I know. And, and that was me saying no. <laughs> oh, oh, and there's one other one I know. Okay, here we go. Okay, now, um, audience, give me a place, uh, a uh, common item you find in the bedroom, and a fast food restaurant. When you McDonald's do, in a toilet at the Eiffel Tower. Right, and it was uh, there's usually about eight answers, right? You get, oh, there's only eight answers. There really yeah. is in, in improv, and then and then if you use one of those, then all the performers already know what they're going to do because right. it's not so, improv. Right, right. Oh my gosh, I, do you feel like that show where they give away the magic tricks and the magicians? <laughs> I do. Just feel like I just sort of sold every improv comic out. But you yeah. know what? I think I've said this on the show before. I was a decent improv comic. I hated good improv though i hated watching good improv i would much rather watch horrible improv 
because at least it was interesting because you sure it was so bad which is terrible well, and you didn't know what was going to happen next with horrible improv like really good efficient uh improv if you've done it you know what's going to happen next oh, right? Yeah. and so, it seems scripted it's so yes. good it seems scripted yeah especially comedy sports is more so that way so, yeah you know, you know what you're talking about this topic, it makes me think about BitTorrent in the early 2000s, which that was, was a version of this that mainly dealt with movies. And I remember so early mid 2000s, like 2005 through 2007 or so, I remember downloading movies through BitTorrent and then I, like I, I like flipped a switch in my mind and I was like, this is wrong. Yeah, and I, and well, I, I stopped movies doing it. that did it, not music, right? Well, I mean, I stopped with the music too. But I mean, oh. back in in college, I would download fifty albums a night. Yeah, like I would queue it up, go to bed, and wake up with fifty albums. Um, and then I don't know, I just crossed over in the two thousands. I felt bad. I actually deleted movies I downloaded, and it just started to feel dangerous and irresponsible and wrong. And it it was weird. It was, I don't know if other people felt that way. I just remember downloading like, and they were movies like they were in the theater, right? You could, you could download like screeners of actual movies that were in the theater before they even came out. And then I was like, yeah, I think this is a felony. I'm going to stop. Yeah. Now we're, we're talking about all the negatives. Let's, uh, let, let's, let's talk about a, a few of the reasons why it worked. Uh, it even worked more when Steve Jobs created, uh, you know, he wasn't the one who actually created the iPod. There were other music uh, things like it uh, that were, that came out around the same time. I was kind of anti-Mac in the 2000s, early 2000s, and I would buy Creative. They were called Creative. They were like a competitor, and actually they were a little cheaper, and they had a bigger... Uh, um, they, they and the other thing about them was they would work well if you had a Dell or something like that. Where once again, Steve Jobs was ruthless and a genius in regards to hey, if you want to use uh, these iTunes and work well with your um, iPod, then you need to have a Mac to do all this. You ever tried to plug in your uh, iPod early on into? Um, a compact or something like that, it didn't work well because it was all designed to kind of be, you know, everything was to work in unison. So ultimately though, it was great to have all this music in your pocket. And now of course with streaming and stuff, everyone just thinks, yeah, that's just kind of the way it is. Our kids would have no understanding of having to like, you mean I can't hear this right this moment? Uh, I get it. But it was exciting as someone who loves music and it was a collector of music and passionate and would try to make all these mixtapes. So it was great having all this music in your pocket. And you know, can I tell you the, the one song I remember downloading that I looked for for years that was so elusive. There were songs like that. That's so cool. Yeah. Go ahead. What was it? Yeah. I, I remember it was in high school. I had a friend who had a Beastie Boys B-side single mm. called Boom called Boom and Granny, which is the greatest song one. of all. It's and it's about this guy, a Beastie Boy, who loves 
elderly women. Sure. And he's like, and he's like, I saw her at the checkout. Grandma's boy, kind of like a, but before. Yeah. She dropped her coupons and she was looking fine. And I just, it was like the funniest song ever. And I couldn't find it. And one night in like the dark corners of the internet on Napster, I found Boom and Granny. And it was, it was, it made all the theft worth it. All the felonies worth it. And you know what? I'm I'm sure many listeners are like, they don't get what you just were going through, but uh, they felt it was like somebody explaining their fantasy draft in football. <laughs> but to yeah. me, I was with you the whole time. I mean, I, I there were many songs that I had been looking for. You couldn't even find in a record shop. You couldn't find anywhere. And then you, it was like the Holy Grail. And then you would find, you know, Banging Granny or whatever that thing was called. Booming. Boomer. Granny, I don't want to have to put another explicit label. It's too late now. Tipper Gore is probably taking this off. So uh, I was the king of the mixtape. You could even say I was kind of like uh, that Nick Hornsby uh, character that John Cusack played in High Fidelity, where I was just like fanatical. And uh, we, we talked already about this idea of spending $18 on one song. I hated that so much and I was frugal because I wasn't, I didn't have hardly any money. So I would constantly buy um, like greatest, like KTEL-esque type, Ronco-esque type various hits. I guess, what what are those called now? The pop hits or whatever. One Hit Wonders? Are. Oh, well, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, sure. th- that they, they come out with that are just like 15 songs on it. And I would search through various all the time because I wanted to put more songs on my cassette or you know CD. So then I didn't go through iTunes. Uh, I went to this thing called eMusic. They were like the competitor of iTunes. And they were cheaper. And some of the record companies were part of this. But most of the music was more independent. It was a lot of alternative kind of rock music. And eMusic was 50 cents a uh, download. So I did that, put it on my creative uh, um, iPod, whatever, whoever they made it. And uh, then well, about two years, eMusic goes under, creative goes under, and all the money I pumped into this <laughs> was absolutely wasted it didn't work very well anymore and so uh steve jobs won and i just i joined the world of that now do you know who uh the first president of facebook was the like the president the president of facebook yeah sean parker wasn't it yeah who played him in the movie justin timbersnake yeah yes exactly interesting little trivia napster Went under, had to declare bankruptcy because they lost the court case. And the court case said you cannot have one, you know, file to file shared song on your site. And they were trying to transition into being something else and they just couldn't manage it. So the Napster name, though, was cool. And, and do, do you remember that emblem? It was like a cat or something. It was real cool. Yeah, it was. It was the like, logo. yeah, absolutely. They were bought by a company called Roxio and uh, XIO. And I think Roxio also made um, iPods too. They eventually uh, renamed it uh, Napster 2.0 to 
to kind of like, okay, we're, we're still Napster, but we're different. We tried, they tried for a while. They didn't really have much success. Roxio sells Napster 2.0 to Best Buy. Best Buy has it for a while. They just, it was just, you know, it seems like a good mix, but it wasn't. They just, they had too many other bigger issues they would focus on. They sold it to Rhapsody. Remember Rhapsody? R-H-A-P? Oh, yeah. That was a streaming service. And they, I, they might have still exist, but they're basically, you know, and at the time there was like, I think they said somewhere like a million and a half um, subscribers to this music service at the time. Basically, Spotify, I think, is kind of eating everybody's lunch in that. Amazon does okay because they give it half of it to you for free as part of the $99 thing, right? I don't even think iTunes is doing that well with streaming. I don't think they're making that much on it. Well, Spotify has really moved in, which, by the way, Sean Parker had a huge stake in Spotify. Um, but I, I, I'm always fascinated with high net worths, like just not because I'm envious of them. I just I find it interesting. Do you have a guess as to what Sean Parker's net worth was uh, in 2020 prior to? I love when you do this. I never think of that. It just makes me feel bad about myself. But well, um, no, I yeah, it's interesting. It's just, it's like how okay, much so is prior to the meltdown. billion. What? Can you imagine his PPP check? Oh my gosh. It's got done. So I'm sure he's done so well. That's he probably is, was half of the first check. That's why we'll be on to about five or six. Uh, when we get into that's impressive. So he was part, I did not know the part that he was part of Spotify. We, uh, established that he had some Facebook money too. And also uh, Yammer. He's a board member of Yammer, which is, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, Also co-founded Plaxo, Causes, Airtime.com, and Brigade. What's going on with Sean Fanning? Did you look him up? I can can use Google. Okay, while you're doing that, I'm going to give you a little information about the competitor really to streaming in some ways is YouTube. That's the number one place people go to get music. If you didn't know, you might think, oh, is this Spotify? Because YouTube is free. Yeah, I got to watch an ad. But if you just want to listen to a song or two, you go to YouTube, and then you get the cool video that goes with it. Um, YouTube, the, the great thing about YouTube is it's visual, and there have been performers that have hit big that were just independent artists you know, obviously the the Justin Bieber story is pretty interesting on that front. Uh, I think Macklemore is one of the like they were. He was like the first one that really burst. He made just like a a video for the song Thrift Store, and then that song became I think the song of the year. And he was he wasn't even signed to anybody at the time. He was just kind of on his own with Ryan. What's his name? Was his name Ryan uh, Kelly? I always think that that's the money store guy. Maybe. Hi, I'm Ryan no. Kelly of the money store. It's a pretty good impression. Sean Fanning's net worth is 124 million. Hmm. And you think they Sean Fanning changed the world. He really did. Good or bad. Both. And he's worth that, which is impressive. Do you think he, uh, Sean Fanning and Sean Parker ever like get together and hang out? No, since they I wouldn't think so. 
I, I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I'm always, I'm, I'm not obsessed. I'm because I, I, again, it's not an envy thing. I, I'm fascinated by money and how people deal with it. I'm always fascinated when you watch a movie and it's like a, a good actor who, you know, like a Nick Cage or someone like that. That's not like earth shattering to everyone, to some. He had, he had a real good stretch and then he just, I think he got a lot of bills because he's a big spender. Yeah, because I mean, you get someone like Adam Sandler. His net worth is just oh. under $500 million, just over Crazy. a half billion dollars. Then you get Nick Cage, who, again, kind of a wild guy, world career, net worth $25 million. Yeah, but the thing is, he's spent like insane. Like It's like Charlie Sheen. Just like there's I been... know, that's what's interesting to me. Oh, that's like, what you, I think like. That, I, I... you think Fanning was spending a lot of money and Parker's more of a, a spendthrift? No, I think theirs is different because it had to do based on what they invested in. But then you get like Johnny Depp, who was like spending, what, $30,000 a month on wine. And so he blew his fortune. I, I don't know. I, it's not like I like watching people fail, but I just, I'm fascinated by people. Do you anyway, think that should this be week, a, that this might work episode where we, we break down everybody who's blown through their money? It would make other like people little... feel better. It seems kind of kind of mean-spirited in a way, but um, at the yeah, same time. Yeah, it's not really my jam I just do that privately. <laughs> I don't do that publicly. I, that uh, is rude. You know what? But no, no, privately, no. I do that. I think that's totally respectable. They're never going to know. You know that whole concept of uh, people who are like, you know what I don't like when people talk behind my back? Quite frankly, at my age, I would much prefer you to talk behind my back than to my face. I, I just, mm. I don't have the energy for to my face. Uh, a, a really bad thing. I don't really want you to talk behind my back, but if the preference would go at this point in my life, when I was 25 and I'm, or 30, and maybe in 35, you know, I'd like to like to throw down with you verbally and get in your face maybe a little bit. You know, I'm a pretty aggressive guy at the time. Uh, I'm good. I, I would have liked you to tell me, tell me to my face. Now that my testosterone levels have, have dipped a little bit, I'd rather you uh, talk uh, badly about behind my back. Yeah, I'm not really a confrontation guy. Unfortunately, since different works of mine appear in in the public uh, purview with comment sections, that's not always great. Let's hear one story like that. Let's hear one. Oh, geez. I I told you the the worst hate email I got of all time. I've told this story on the show, haven't I? Okay, well, then tell the second. Okay. Well, for, if you forget the first one, it's this one because it's so good. You can't top it. Okay. I wrote a column in a very large newspaper and a guy emailed me and he said, I just want to let you know that my father hated terrible writing. And that's why I'm glad he's dead. So he didn't have to read what you just wrote. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? In a way, there, there's I mean, something it's amazing. clever about it. And it was succinct. Can I? Okay. Oh, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you my story. Uh, okay of how the, the fickle the public can be. Okay. So I've been an entertainer for a long time, mostly a comedian. Comedians don't really get, you, you get heckled right in the moment. When, when you do comedy, stand-up comedy, not as much like online hate gets thrown your way. It's more like right in the moment. Once again, now comedy, I'd rather you talk to my face because I'm ready to knock you back down like Chumbawamba. So I do a one-man show, though, as part of a Fringe Festival. That's very artsy. Oh, yes. I remember that. And, well, I've done three of them. 
and I, uh, two of them went really well. And then there was a third one that uh, was very, well, this will give you an idea of how it was received. I, after the show, I talked, I talked about the problems that my dad had created in my life. He was manic depressive and uh, verbally and physically abusive. And he went to a mental institution. It was, you know, it was more, you know, one man showy. Sounds and like a good show. In in some ways, it well, some people really connected with it, and I even, um, I even did some acting in it a little bit, where I would play my dad breaking down me after I tell these stories, and talking about how uh, ridiculous it is that you would publicly talk about it. What kind of man are you? You know, why don't you deal with this stuff personally? You know, through alcohol or whatever other ways a real man would handle it instead of, you know, being a public wuss. So I, I handled it that way. And then I, at the, then I talked about how my daughter, Maddie, who's on the autism spectrum, her disability had kind of informed me and had taken a lot of the anger away that I had towards him. And I even brought her out at the end so people could get a feel for what I'm talking about. Cause my daughter is just, she's a lovely girl. And um, you you feel innocence after this kind of dark show. So this woman came up to me crying after the show, and she proceeds to tell me it was the most moving thing she had ever seen in her life. Okay, comedians don't get this. And she said that um, her father had been abusive too and had mental, manic depressive issues, and uh, she just it it just it moved her so much and then my daughter coming out just made her feel better about maybe her maybe changing some of her views about her dad as is it bad some- that i'm just really excited for this to turn and for someone to crap <laughs> on you <laughs> that's who you like are. i'm really excited yeah well you it, it you're you're not going to feel cheated so unlike this person who comes in so everything i think you would ever want to feel as a writer, performer, whatever, I got validation from that woman. Okay. Nice. I get home uh, and I see an email pop up <laughs> and a lady, uh, she had gone to some work to email me. She, you know, just, I didn't say, hey, email me after the show. No, that she, she searched me out and she proceeded to say that my show was the most exploitive thing that she had ever seen. Um, it had been labeled as a dark comedy, which there was comedy in there, but her point of view was it was more dark and less comedy. And it was, uh, she felt like the description had uh, cheated her. And um, she thought me bringing my daughter out at the end was some way of making, um, trying to cover up for me being exploitive and not being, uh, putting on a good show. And she said, uh, I think her words were, it was, you know, just sickening to watch you hide behind your daughter who has a disability. That's that, that really feels good. Now I feel bad that I was waiting for that. Cause yeah, I really no, 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 like no, no. And then she's like, and, uh, you should be, uh, sending me, uh, my, uh, I've already talked to the Fringe Festival and I want my money back for this show. <laughs> so in a matter of one hour, I got the best review and the worst review on the same performance. Just remarkable. 
And the level of emotions from just like, wow, feeling like cloud nine that I made like such a difference in someone's life, something that never could happen on this podcast versus this, this other venomous woman who felt like I was an exploiter and a fraud. And, uh, and so I emailed her back and said that, um, I would be glad to wait a minute. I want, wait a minute. I must give you your money back because I don't want anything. Um, I can't remember how I put it. Something about that first part was all verbatim that I don't want to have any connection with you in any way where you feel like I owe you anything. I would actually double your money back. Uh, and that you, uh, are a vile human being for bringing that part up about my daughter. But uh, you give me your address. I will send double your money back um, and and please send it to me right away. And she didn't get back to me or whatever. But And uh, you drove to her house and killed her. No, that, that's, that case is still open. Do you it's, know the uh, lesson here, honestly? There is a big lesson here. It's uh, that's not Twitter. That was Twitter's usually, I mean, people think Twitter's bad, but that was like crazy. Okay, go ahead. What's the lesson? The lesson is she shared her feedback with you, mm. but sometimes peer to peer sharing just doesn't work no. out. And ladies and gentlemen, that's Napster. Oh man, that was a drop the mic comedy sports moment. I think people in the, and I did it in the comedy sports theater, by the way, that show. Oh yeah. 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 Certainly. So everything is coming back. Uh, thank you again for listening, uh, to this might work. Um, Peter, uh, not our best effort. That's for a fact. Uh, speak to yourself. I mean, I thought I was, you were good. You were very good. I would say that I'm just early on. I was really motivated to research and now, uh, I don't know. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I would choose the flu. flu. Did you, get, did you get a little cake for Spanish flu? Is that what happened? Uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, when you do a TV appearance, I I, I want to hear you use that. <laughs> I I did on the news. Did on I tell a, you on that? local like news? No, weeks? you used it. I th- I think I did. I might no, have been like you didn't. People the break, still talking like, about it. Hey Ray. <laughs> no, I I'll do it tomorrow morning. Oh, I am so taping that. Eight. Uh, 12 on Fox 59, 8, 12 a.m. Mm, I'm excited about that too. Okay, well, thank you again for listening. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that. We have many different episodes and uh, we're, we're back together. I feel like uh, good or bad, I think this is good therapy for us. And ultimately that's what's most important. Take, Take care, care of you. you.